0: listening to eye on the triangle on wknc 88.1 tonight on eye on the triangle ncsu may be wasting its waste john barnwell from campus safety tells how he keeps students safe and why silence on gay rights is the lowest form of cowardice all of this and more coming at you right now only on wknc
1: this weekend news on eye on the triangle
2: a
0: brief rundown of
2: the latest news
0: Thank you for tuning in to I Own the Triangle. My name is Evan Garris. The time is 7.06. Seventy percent of the waste generated by NCSU's dining halls may be going to waste. University Dining and Waste Reduction and Recycling are teaming up for a new effort to compost as much of that waste as possible. Scraps and other organic materials from Fountain and Clark dining halls are already being shipped to a facility in Goldston, North Carolina, where it will become soil. It's part of a five-year project to make make a two-thirds reduction on what we send to the landfill. A Raleigh City Council meeting is getting underway at this very moment to hear from the public about the proposed routes for high-speed train tracks. Many citizens from the Five Points area are concerned about increases in noise and vibration. The Five Point Citizen Advisory Council voted unanimously against the idea of routing trains near their area, according to the News and Observer. That's just one idea, even though it's the one favored by some officials. There's some other, there's another opinion that comes through the CSX yards. All proposals would involve cutting off some streets between downtown and Glenwood South. Governor Perdue is sticking with the idea of offshore drilling. She told reporters at the Southern Governors Association conference that she will remain in favor of oil drilling as long as it is beneficial to the people of North Carolina. The United States has declared an end to combat operations in Iraq, according to the New York Times. President Obama told troops today in a speech at Fort Bliss military base in Texas that although soldiers will be coming home, there is still a, quote, tough slog ahead. Roughly 50,000 troops will remain until sometime next year, mainly serving as advisors and trainers to the fledgling Iraqi security forces. The president will address the nation from the Oval Office this evening and will make the assertion that he fulfilled one of his campaign promises by scaling down the U.S. presence in Iraq. Four Israelis were shot dead today near the city of Hebron in the West Bank. Al Jazeera reports that a military division of Hamas called the Qasam Brigades has has claimed responsibility for the shootings and made a statement that these are but the first of many to come. This attack comes only a day before Israeli and Palestinian officials are scheduled to meet at the White House to discuss the renewed process of peace between the two nations. A spokesman for the political wing of Hamas stated that that his organization rather has no intention of sabotaging the peace process, but he does not speak for the organization's militia. On this day in 1422, Henry V dies of dysentery while in France. Also on this day in 1422, Henry VI becomes king of England at the tender age of nine months. In 1803, Lewis and Clark start their expedition to the west by leaving Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, at 11 in the morning. In 1920, the first radio news program is broadcast by 8MK in Detroit, Michigan. In 1997, Diana, Princess of Wales, and her companion Dodi Al-Fayed and her driver, Henri Paul, die in a car crash in Paris. Birthday shout-outs go to, on this day in 41 A.D., Caligula, Roman Emperor. In 1945, Israeli violinist Itzhak Perlman. In 1949, Richard Gere. In 1970, Deborah Gibson. And in 1972, Chris Tucker. The time now is 7.09 p.m. And now it's time for our community calendar for August 31st
3: through September 7th. Campus Farmers Market will be held tomorrow, Wednesday, September 1st, in the Brickyard from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Come support the Campus Farmers Market on their first date of the 2010-2011 school year. Check out local farmers' selections of vegetables, milk, eggs and meat in a fun atmosphere right here at NC State. Also, a time management workshop will be held from 2 to 3 p.m. in Italy Student Center Blue Room. This workshop tries to answer the question, do you manage your time well? The workshop will outline steps for syllabus review and understanding, as well as calendar strategies for managing academic and personal schedules as a college student. The workshop introduces participants to strategies that will help set time-based goals lessen procrastination, and manage distractions. On September 2nd, on Thursday, there will be a philosophy seminar on ethics at 4.30 p.m. in Withers Hall, room 344. Lecturer Timothy Hinton of NC State will be discussing the sentiments of the understanding, perceptions of the heart, and constitutional sentimentalism and the authority of morals. Admission is free and this event is open to the public. Also on Thursdays, starting this week, there will be a 13-week course in Tai Chi running through December 2nd. This course will introduce the philosophy and practice of Tai Chi, an ancient Chinese health exercise. Tai Chi is a sequence of gestures and movements that are gentle and fluid, yet have profound power. During the course of this session, you will learn techniques of relaxation, breath control, balance, internal strength, mental concentration, and visual focus. Through Tai Chi exercises, students will experience overall improved health by stimulating and balance chi flow in the body. This will occur from 5:30 to 6 p.m., and it will take place in pleasant weather in the Court of North Carolina, and in the case of inclement weather, in Caldwell Lounge. On Friday, September third, there will be a Dress for Success seminar in the Walnut Room of the Tally Student Center. Miss Kelly Fishborn, the student, the store manager, and Miss Patty Santos, the store assistant manager of Brooks Brothers Crabtree Valley Mall, will be discussing what your clothing and accessory choices communicate to the people around you. Are you sending the right message? If you want to find out what corporate casual means or when you are being overdressed, you might want to check this event out. All attendees will receive Brooks Brothers coupons and will take part in a drawing for a free, non-iron dress shirt. If you want to attend this event, you must register at go.ncsu.edu slash events. Also, at 7 p.m. on Friday, the movie Get Him to the Greek will be shown at Witherspoon Cinema. Aaron Green has been giving a career-making assignment to escort a rock god, Aldous Snow, to L.A.'s world-famous Greek theater. Snow is in the midst of a downward spiral, and as the countdown of the concert begins, Aaron must navigate a minefield of drugs, sex, and rock and roll to deliver Aldis to the Greek. This film is rated R for strong sexual content and drug use throughout. Also, there is pervasive language. On September 4th, Saturday, the movie Sex in the City 2 will be showing at 9.30 in Witherspoon Cinema. Two years have passed since Carrie Bradshaw finally bagged John... Mr. Big Preston, the man she was always meant to be with. Just as her friend Charlotte must deal with her young daughter's terrible twos, Carrie must deal with her relationship, taking a turn for the worst. This film is rated R for strong sexual content and language. By the way, tickets for all movies are sold before the show at the box office and are $1.50 for students and $2.50 for the general public. On Sunday, September 6th, 5th, there will be a Quilting is Art exhibition. The exhibition will be including quilts and wearable art by the Triangle Art Quilters Guild and will be in the Thompson Theater Basement in the Craft Center. This is an ongoing exhibition and will run through October 11th. Finally, Monday, September 6th is Labor Day. Take a break from classes by taking a nap or visiting the Rose Garden located just behind the Raleigh Little Theater. You may also want to attend the J.C. Ralston Arboretum, which is located at 4415 Barrel Road. The Arboretum is a naturally, nationally acclaimed garden with the most diverse collection of cold, hardy, temperate zone plants in the southeastern United States. The Arboretum is open from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., 365 days per year. And now it's time for Evan Garris to give his viewpoint for the day. Viewpoint on Eye on the Triangle.
1: Evan's opinions on the latest news. The views in this editorial do not necessarily reflect the views of WKNC, Student Media, or NCSU.
0: Good evening, and thank you for listening to Viewpoint on Eye on the Triangle. My name is Evan Garris, and in no uncertain terms, I'm gay. I'd like to state that for the record so that the reason for my unconditional terms of your cooperation might resonate a little harder. That's right. I'm out, and I'm pushing my agenda straight through your speakers. An article in last Friday's Denver Post caught my attention. Focus on the Family, a powerful arm of anti gay Christianist of an anti-gay Christian of the anti-gay Christianist lobby, is taking issue with anti-bullying bills that are popping up in and being passed by state legislatures across the country. Focus on the family education expert Candy Cushman would have you believe that these new laws encroach upon religious freedom by pushing a nefarious agenda to to teach tolerance and diversity, ideals sometimes contrary to the status quo, and by that her organization obviously cannot abide. In reality, these bills are written to prevent what the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the United States Department of Health and Human Services have shown to be a public health crisis in our schools, and not one just prevalent against gay students or amongst gay students, where incidentally 9 out of 10 report experiencing harassment. A 2008 report by the CDC found that 30% of American 6th to 10th graders report having been involved in bullying, either as a victim or as a bully. My initial reaction to Candy Cushman's claim of gay agenda pushers attempting to strip Christian fundamentalists of their right to practice bigotry in public elicited an interesting reaction, one of agreement. I'm sure I won't be the first to admit that there is a gay agenda. However, it has no interest in putting your church out of business, only out of my government. It also couldn't care less about destroying your family and their Victorian sensibilities or converting your children. They do that on their own and in quite sustainable numbers. No, our agenda is one of rationality, built on the same principle as the United States justice system, which holds that no tyranny of a majority will ever suppress the rights of a minority. All we ask for are the same civil rights and constitutional protections allotted to Candy Cushman and the wingnuts at Focus on the Family." After releasing my inner gay militant, I realized that while I hold the fundamentalists and homophobes completely accountable for their evolutionarily stunted belief systems, I can't necessarily blame the poor souls for acting in accordance with them. Instead, the targets of my criticisms should be the members of my family, my friends, and my gay community, some of whom are employed by this radio station, that choose not to speak out and stand up for who they are or who they claim to support. In the face of clear and present bigotry, they remain silent except when behind closed doors. It's no wonder that the struggle for gay rights has taken so long to produce any results. The fire ignited by events like the Stonewall Riots in New York City has all but died out. Once gay men and women were compelled to take to the streets with their demands in hand, but now they can outsource their activism to lobbying organizations like Equality NC and the Human Rights Campaign that promise results and a trendy bumper sticker in return for privately made financial contributions. There's a glaring paucity of much-needed action, especially amongst gay youth of my generation who believe that civil rights are hereditary or purchasable rather than fruits of a difficult struggle. I treat my sexual orientation like I would any other of my personal characteristics. It's nothing special, and it's really my business and no one else's. However, there are powerful people that want to make it their business, and I'll be damned if I let them treat me differently because of it. It's exactly for this reason that those of you who sympathize must grow a backbone and voice your concern loudly and in public at every opportunity. When livelihoods are at stake, political quietism is the lowest form of cowardice. And to those of you who are still in the closet and too afraid to open the door, you owe it to your community, you owe it to me, and you owe it to yourself to get the hell out and start fighting for your dignity. If you should feel the need to opine, please send your pithy comments to publicaffairs at wknc.org or tweet us at wknc881.
1: The views in this editorial do not necessarily reflect the views of WKNC, Student Media, or NCSU.
0: Coming up next is an interview with John Barnwell, Campus Police Control Division Commander, Media Relations i on the triangle's vip talking to people that matter
3: wknc 88.1 this is i on the triangle and you are listening to vip this week on vip we have john barnwell who is the campus campus police control division commander and the head of media relations mr johnwell or er, johnwell mr barnwell thank you for joining us today and can you give us uh, in the in the on-air community a little bit more about yourself? How long have you been a part of the North Carolina State University community?
4: Sure, I've been a part of NC State ever since I was a student here uh, back in the early to mid-90s. Uh, transferred in in 94, uh, started the police academy in 97, and uh, came back to NC State as a uh, police officer with the University Police Department and been there ever since.
3: Can you tell us a little bit about what you do here on campus
4: yeah, uh, I am the patrol division commander, which means that uh, I oversee all of the field operation guys uh, and, and and women out in the field. Uh, so basically, if you see a, a police officer in uniform uh, out and about on campus uh, in some form or fashion, they directly report uh, through their chain of command to me.
3: And, um, well, let's get right into it then. We'll talk a little about uh, what you are here to talk about today. Um, you are here to talk about the Wolf Alert System.
4: Sure. Uh, the, the Wolf Alert system is a multifaceted uh, notification system that the university has here on campus that allows us to, uh, in uh, life safety emergencies or whenever there's a need to uh, notif- to provide notification to the campus community, uh, gives us various avenues to get that information out to them in a timely fashion. Uh, it consists of outdoor exterior siren system, uh, a mass notification via email, and also a mass notification via text messaging. We have the capability of exercising two of those: the exterior sirens and the email, without any need for a student opting into any type of uh, program to request that assistance. The text messaging is a little different because it costs uh, the individual money, or can cost the individual uh, user money. Uh, when you log into MyPack portal to register for your classes, you have to opt into uh, accepting the program to receive text messages.
3: Now, can you tell us a little about uh, why one would need to use the Wolf Light system?
4: Uh, It depends on uh, the nature of the types of incidents that occur on campus. Uh, The the one time that we have used our exterior sirens, aside from our monthly test, was when we had a uh, tornado warning and had a tornado actually touch down near campus. Uh, and, uh, caused some damage where we had lightning and, and, uh, severe storms, uh, uh, with it. And we needed to get the information out to the community in, in a, uh, expedient fashion. So we did utilize our exterior, uh, siren notification for that. Uh, we primarily use our, uh, mass email as the main means of notification to the campus community as, uh, uh, people can understand, uh, coming into the campus community after move in weekend and receiving an email about an incident that occurred involving one of our sororities.
3: Can you actually go ahead and tell us a little bit more about that incident? Um, it was a break-in, is that correct?
4: Yeah, actually it was a, uh, a break-in uh, where th- there appeared to be no forced entry. The individual obtained entrance into uh, the residence on uh, uh, in Greek Village uh, without breaking in physically, but uh, they obtained entrance into the facility and actually assaulted one of our female residents there.
3: Now, um, that is uh, definitely something that would raise concern around campus? What are you guys doing to try and uh, not have that happen again? Part of
4: what we what we want to do is uh, get the information related to that incident out to the campus community and uh, give them ways of preventing uh, that situation from happening to other residence halls or sororities or fraternities. And then, again, we want to work through education uh, in trying to uh, provide safety information out to those that uh, were uh, – immediately affected as well as uh, all of our campus population uh, to report suspicious activity to us immediately to make sure that the doors are always locked and to never leave uh, any items or or any property unattended.
3: Now, can you briefly talk to us about um, what the campus police itself uh, what their jurisdiction is um, geographically and what their responsibilities are versus the Raleigh Police Department.
4: I'm, g- I'm glad you actually asked that question because it has changed over the summer. Uh, and uh, the University Police Department now, in in a certain capacity, has citywide jurisdiction uh, in partnership with the Raleigh Police Department. And what I mean by uh, in, in concert with that is the fact that uh, our primary policing role is still all property owned or leased by NC State University. But with that, we also have a concurrent jurisdiction in and around our campus community that primarily caters to university housing or or student housing. And then we uh, also are the primary responder to any off-campus residents that uh, houses an organization that is recognized by the university, such as off-campus fraternities or sororities. Uh, And if if a need arises to... Uh, execute search warrants, do follow-up investigations anywhere within the city, we're able to do so.
3: Now, uh, like we have discussed, not everyone lives on campus. Um, What can someone do uh, off campus? Perhaps they live down Trailwood or uh, over in the uh, Clark area. What can they do um, in the way of, uh, I guess, prevention of crime or something like that?
4: I think it's the same thing that uh, that uh, our on-campus residents do uh, here at State, and, and that's educate yourself on uh, the community in which you live. Uh, the Raleigh uh, main website, uh, org, has access to a crime mapping uh, software program where you can put in your physical off-campus address, and you can pull up a list of criminal activity that's occurring in and around where you're living. Uh, and I think education on uh, what 's happening and then taking the appropriate risk reduction techniques to prevent that, those types of criminal activity from happening with you to you and then reporting any type of activity that you deem suspicious or uh, possibly uh, going to cause harm to the raleigh police department
3: right and uh, as you know, as as it is, there are many urban campuses that have uh reputations as being an unsafe campus however i don 't think that's the case here. most of the police bodies are either like someone who's been drinking too much or a break in here and there. Um, What's different about uh, our campus that makes us the exception?
4: I think it's the unique partnership that the campus community has with the police department. I think uh, we've done a good job on both sides of the fence, uh, commending the students as well as uh, the uh, the officers that work for us in uh, uh, communication, working with each other. Uh, talking things through, uh, seeing where things can be improved prior to a crime occurring and making the appropriate recommendations, getting the university's buy-in to make those changes. So w- we are staying on the proactive end of preventing crime as opposed to setting back and waiting for something to occur and then addressing it. However, with our low crime rate comes a sense of complacency within our campus community, and the types of activity that you read in the, in the blotter could be prevented uh had students not have consumed too much alcohol, had they not left uh, their GPS device in their vehicle, had they not uh, left their door unlocked. So, again, we're, we're victims of our own success to an extent uh, that we have uh, an increase in the minor crimes. But, again, uh, I have to commend the campus community in working so well with us to prevent any type of major incidents from happening.
3: Now, do you have any other suggestions for the community as a whole uh, on-campus crime prevention, crime prevention?
4: I think the the main thing, uh, again, is to uh, if you have any easily concealable electronic item of value, make sure you register it with uh, the police department uh, so we can have a copy of the make, model, and serial number of, of it. If it has the capability of getting low jack on it, such as a laptop computer, uh, please look into that uh, because we have a high recovery rate of uh, stolen laptops that have that type of software on them. And then, again, uh, the the bottom line is uh, don't take chances and leave items unattended, and you should be okay.
3: Now, can you talk a little about uh, the program you mentioned where you put low jacks and computers and things like that? I think I've heard of this before. Um, there are times on campus where you can go and get like a serial number etched into your uh, computer or on your bicycle.
4: Yes, we, uh, we encourage that anybody who has a bicycle or an electronic item on campus that they coordinate with us to uh, – uh, allow us to engrave the uh, driver's license number of the owner onto the, uh, the piece of equipment, which adds an owner-applied apl- number that makes it a more traceable uh, piece of property that when we enter it into the national database, it actually can be followed up on more quickly if a uh, police officer from another state pulls a, a vehicle over and notices a laptop that has a, a driver's license number engraved on it. They can run it through the national database and and your the original owner's information pops up and that gives them the ability to uh, perform a further investigation hopefully recover that property
3: and now finally um if you have uh kind of we've kind of covered all the bases uh we wanted to quickly talk about uh this is a game weekend uh for the football team and uh we are having a home game and i was, would like to talk briefly about uh, fan behavior. Uh, I know that we discussed earlier about some things that people get in trouble for things because they're not informed, and I would like to uh, discuss that briefly if that's okay.
4: Yeah, and I, I think that uh, this is another uh, avenue where I can commend our students on the uh, the positive behavior and being a good community member that they've shown through the past football season. want to encourage uh, that partnership to continue through our uh, Responsible Behavior Initiative out in the parking lots. Uh, we really work closely with the students to make sure that they are enjoying themselves, but then not uh, uh, putting themselves in a situation to where they can cause issues or be a victim of any type of criminal activity. So we just want to uh, again encourage our students to uh, to continue to 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 be a the bearer of good sportsmanship and uh, citizenry uh, and represent NC state well in doing so and then again, just a reminder that uh, when it comes to uh, anything inside the stadium there is a zero tolerance Uh, we will charge we will uh, issue trespasses from athletic events Uh, so we just don't want any of our students getting themselves inadvertently uh, in any situation by trying to get any uh, banned object inside the stadium or the possibility of, of attempting to come on the field or something of that nature
3: thank you captain barnwell for joining us today do you have anything to uh part with us before we move on to our next segment
4: uh, again, just like to thank you for having me, uh, and uh, want to encourage the uh, campus community to continue what they're doing and in, in staying safe. And uh, again, to report any type of suspicious activity to the police department, because preventing crime is a shared responsibility. We can't be everywhere all the time, but with the help of our students, faculty, and staff, we can be at the right place at the right time, and we can all work together to make NC State a safe place to uh, learn, live, and work.
3: Thank you again, Captain Barnwell. And now we're going to move on to the uh, Wolf Packer of the Week. Wolf Packer of the Week on Eye on the Triangle.
0: A spotlight on those who go above and beyond.
5: Eye on the Triangle caught up with our Wolf Packer of the Week, Amber Smith, on the way to donate blood. Along the way, she filled us in on her work of engaging others in community service with the organization ME3.
1: My name is Amber Smith. I am currently still involved with the organization that I co-founded in 2005 called ME3, which stands for Motivate, Educate, Empower, and Engage. And the goal of ME3 is to promote volunteerism and get everyone to think about volunteering as part of daily culture and daily life and get involved. So I'm involved in getting other people involved as well as being involved in various activities myself. And I am in the first year of the MPA program, which is, for anyone who does no master's in public administration. And I'm hoping to focus in nonprofit management because that's really the direction I'd like to go in. As an undergrad here at NC State, I did the minor in nonprofit studies, which was a great experience and really just reinforced my desire to pursue that as a career. Since we started ME3, we've really just reinforced our theory that a lot of people would like to be involved, but many aren't quite sure how to get started. So that's why we exist, is we try to go and get them um, interested and and show them the various ways they can get started that have to do with their skills, schedules, and interest. And this is our fifth year anniversary, so since we've grown, we've definitely noticed uh, more people picking up on this idea of finding ways to get involved and getting involved in ways that suit their particular passions. I would say that my interest in making an impact and getting involved really kind of evolved over several years. When I was 12, I saw – this is actually really ridiculous. I saw a TV show very late at night um, that was all about, like, the apocalypse and how the world was going to end and it was going to be so horrible. And I was like, I don't want that to happen. So I thought to myself, I'd really like to, you know, do some things that could – help prevent this horrible apocalypse because of course i'm 12 and i have this crazy imagination at the time that was my first inkling of (laughs) like i want to do something to make an impact and over time it just sort of evolved but i was like a lot of the people that we talk about in me3 the people who don't know how to make a difference even though they really want to from about age 12 to about 18 i just kind of let this passion to do something grow but it didn't really have an outlet quite yet and when i was 18 I discovered volunteering, which is a little bit later than a lot of people actually discover volunteering, so it was a little bit of a late bloomer in that respect. When I discovered it, this just whole new world of getting involved opened up for me, and I really loved it, and then I couldn't pick just one cause that I loved so much. I had to do everything, so I started dabbling in a bunch of different volunteer experiences with my friends, and over time, we realized a lot of people wanted to get involved, And a lot of the organizations we were working with needed more people to get involved. So we thought of the idea to start this organization that kind of closed the gap and connected the two, the people who wanted to get involved with the organizations who needed them to be involved. When I was thinking about what's something that ME3 could do to make a really big impact systemically, so... A lot of um, charities provide direct services, and that's great, and it's very needed. But I wanted to think of a way we could step back and also change how the system works in general. So that's how the idea for the, the curriculum, which is this elective class to be taught at local high schools that would teach students about volunteerism and leadership came about, is I was being pulled left and right. Why don't you just start with something small? Why don't you just try a service club for high school students where they can learn about volunteerism? And I was like, nope. I want to do this class that's integrated completely into the school system and schools where all students can have the opportunity to take this elective. In terms of imagination, I would say it sounded like too big of an idea at first, but with some persistence, we were able to push it through. Getting the class started at local high schools, and and this year it's going to be taught at two high schools, actually, Broughton and East Wake School of Integrated Technology, Uh, was kind of a process of figuring out who the right person to talk to was and getting a feel for some of the bureaucracy that can go on in the school system, um, being passed from one person to another before you finally reach the person who can make the decision on whether or not to teach the class. And we were passed around to maybe four or five different people, and we finally found the right people to talk to. And then we had to create a course proposal, including you know the, the things we wanted the students to learn, which are called competency goals, and push that through and hope that it would get approved by the school system overall. And that would be given a course number, uh, which means that they'll have a number in the list of classes that students can take that they can choose the class from. So we were able to get that, thankfully. And after that, it was just a matter of <laughs> doing the outreach and recruiting enough students and proving that there was an interest in this class to take it. And last year, we did not recruit enough. But we doubled our outreach efforts this year and recruited over 40 students at one school and then 20 at the other school. The students in this class will have the opportunity to do all sorts of things that I personally don't remember doing in high school, so I'm very excited about this. Um, They'll be able to do hands-on service projects, of course, but they're going to be designing the service projects themselves. They'll also be learning about four to six different social and community issues, ideally ones that they have a personal interest in or that are relevant to their schools in particular. They'll be learning about volunteerism and the importance of it in general and kind of honing their personal leadership skills as well. We'll also have nonprofit leaders come into the classroom and show them the direct relevance of everything they're learning to the communities right around them. I would say that no matter your academic interest or career path, there's always some kind of volunteer opportunity out there for you. There's a cause out there related to everything you can imagine from ballet to animals to cars, to anything you can think of, there's probably a nonprofit out there that needs your help. So any academic path or career path that you're pursuing, there's a way to turn that into a way to serve the community. To keep up with stuff that's going on with ME3, you can check out our website at www.me-3.org. And on that website, you have the opportunity to sign up for our newsletter, which we send out to keep people up to date.
5: You've been listening to on the Triangles, Wolfpacker of the Week, Amber Smith here on 88.1 WKNC.
3: And that was Jacob with Wolfpacker of the Week. Now I have Kevin Smith here in the studio. Uh, He is part of the North Carolina State Broadcast Meteorology Program, and he will be helping me with the weather today. Kevin, what does it look like outside? I can't see.
6: Right now, it's looking great out there here, but we've got a monster out there in the Atlantic that we're watching, and... I know, like right now we're at ninety one degrees, partly cloudy in Raleigh, and I talk about the heat it's been so hot lately in a record setting year uh, for the warmth here in North Carolina. But with Hurricane Earl, I want to cut right to that uh, because this has been such a big deal this year with our first major hurricane possibly threatening the u s and there's been a lot of developments just in the past few hours, uh one of those being a hurricane watch has been issued from north of Surf City, North Carolina, down to Duck, North Carolina, including all of the Pamlico and Albemarle sounds. And we also have a tropical storm watch farther to the south uh, for Cape Fear, North Carolina, northeast to Surf City, North Carolina. And a watch means that these conditions are expected within the next 48 hours. So for a tropical storm, it would be winds greater than 39 miles an hour, for a hurricane greater than 74 miles an hour. And uh, lots of uh, – a huge storm to watch here for uh, all the emergency management officials as right now it's a Category 4 as of the 5 p.m. advisory. Uh, maximum sustained winds are 135 miles an hour. So this is a, a very major hurricane out there um, currently moving to the northwest. And the track has been shifting closer and closer to the North Carolina coast. If you look at all the computer models that project where the storm is going to go and how intense it's going to be, um, just, just a day or two ago, we were expecting it would be hundreds of miles off of uh, the Outer Banks as the storm moved north and maybe just a little bit of rain and some breeze on the Outer Banks. Uh, now potentially we're looking at uh, 60, maybe 50 miles off of the Outer Banks, so there is going to be more of an impact on the coastal areas. Um, and the average forecast error at this point can still be over 100 miles, so it's very difficult to accurately predict these days ahead of time. So this is something to very closely monitor. Uh, right now we're expecting that the storm will stay just off the outer banks and that the wind speeds will be up uh, probably Category 3 or higher during that time period uh, in the range of 110, 120 miles an hour based on the current forecast. And there's a very likely chance that we're going to see tropical storm force winds on the outer banks, and those will decrease as you head inward. And the, the latest National Weather Service forecast is for wind gusts maxing out between 50 and 60 miles an hour um, which is just below hurricane force along the outer banks and sounds, and uh, a little bit less as you head inland. And of course, we're going to be dealing with uh, the surge along the coast, uh, very high uh, seas, choppy waves. Could see uh, 25 feet on the coastal waters based on the current track of the storm. So, definitely east of Raleigh, out toward the coast, something to watch very closely. Uh, in terms of preparations, uh, the government and emergency and management officials are on alert, monitoring very closely. The only evacuation out east is Cape Lookout National Se- uh, Seashore, which is being evacuated and will be closed starting tomorrow. Anyone with interests out that way, a lot of parks and campgrounds are planning to close. Uh, in terms of evacuations, many meetings are going to be held tomorrow. So if you're interested in what's going on out there, you have uh, travel interests. This is something to monitor very, very closely. And it's not just me saying this. Anybody you ask in meteorology right now. Uh, The shift in the track uh, will dramatically alter the impacted uh, conditions or the expected conditions over eastern North Carolina. So bottom line, Raleigh, maybe some clouds toward the end of the week uh, with this storm. Uh, The main impact will be out along the Outer Banks. For your forecast tonight, we're looking at clear, low around 65. It's going to be sunny and hot tomorrow, 95 degrees. And that heat will continue into the end of the week. Sunny, high 91 Thursday. Uh, Could see some clouds creeping in later Thursday into Friday uh, from Hurricane Earl off to the east. And uh, winds gusting up into 20 miles an hour or so. Uh, If you want to follow Broadcast Meteorology, we have our own Twitter page. Follow at Weather and get updates from the students here in the meteorology program from NC State. And for the latest updates on the hurricane, National Hurricane Center, www.nhc.noaa.gov.
3: All right. Thanks, Kevin, so much for your excellent forecast tonight. We will look forward to hearing from you next week. And now time for Sound Bites. Sound Bites on Eye on the Triangle. Opinions from around NC State and the rest of the Triangle. Eye on the Triangle. This is Chris Chaffee, and I'm Tom Anderson. This week on SoundBites, we took the voice recorder around NC
5: State's campus
3: and asked students and faculty what their most memorable experience from NC State has been. These were some of the responses we received. My name is Sergei Karpisenka, and uh, my most favorable event that was at NC State was the uh, Taiko Ensemble playing at the Stewart Theater, and uh, it was a pretty amazing show. It's a local Taiko Ensemble that played there, and uh, it was about a two-hour show, I believe. It was just incredible music, a nice atmosphere. Can you talk about what Taiko is? Uh, Taiko is Japanese uh, percussion. It's uh, basically an ensemble of um, about 15, 12 people uh, playing each uh, different type of uh, a drum. And uh, there are all sorts of uh, different uh, frequencies that are covered by the percussion uh, from high to low. And uh, there's Taiko and Daiko, just Japanese percussion.
1: Um, I'm Laura. I finished up at State in Criminology in 2008. And... uh I guess my most memorable experience was my freshman year. We broke into Liazar when it was under construction, ran around, found the old elevator, everything from when it had been a dining hall, and wound up finding a way to climb out on the roof and hang out. It's a really good night. It was a lot of fun. The hardest part of breaking in was definitely climbing the fence without getting caught because uh, people were definitely walking around. And uh, <laughs> one of our short friends was having major issues getting over. My name is uh, Matt Poehler.
0: My major is psychology. and My most memorable uh, NC State moment was when NC State beat Duke in that basketball game you know that those future national champions
2: well, i'm roger ekstrom and i'm a first year mla student um at the college of design and uh i've came here during the summer session and it's been very pleasant so far incredible faculty who are very uh light-hearted and easygoing and uh definitely tough but uh it's generally good to be back here in uh south where it's not frozen for half the year since i spent uh, my uh, undergrad up in ohio uh on a windswept hill kind of kind of cold kind of gray but uh it's good to be here and uh you know enjoying the the campus and all the nice friendly folks so far are you from the south originally uh yeah well I, um i've been in memphis most of my life and uh ran away to Ohio for school and realized I really liked the area, so I decided to come on back, enjoy it around here, and uh, contribute to this part of the country, hopefully.
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, my name is Edwin Cadina. Um, I'm a PhD student in Department of Geology, and my first Really cool experience here in NC State was the first time I had to teach the dinosaurs uh, class and see all these students really excited about to know everything about dinosaurs. That was pretty cool for me in, in NC State.
1: Um, my name is Nora. I'm a Psych and International Studies major. majors.
3: And what is the most memorable experience you have had at NC State?
1: Probably going through shenanigans here, running around at two a.m., just literally running around campus, just kind of being crazy, in the middle of the night.
3: Can you give us an example of how you were quote being crazy?
1: <laughs> um, we were just running around, talking things, going to the free expression tunnel or whatever that tunnel is, writing things, and just kind of being crazy.
3: Can you give us an example or a writing sample of what you were writing?
1: I don't even remember. <laughs> Does that say how the night went?
3: <laughs> for Eye on the Triangle, this has been Chris Chaffee and Tom Anderson. And now it's time for sports here on Eye on the Triangle. From the sidelines on Eye on the Triangle.
1: Your weekly update on athletic events.
3: I have Tyler and Taylor in here in the studio today, and we have to discuss some exciting news here uh, with the upcoming game against Western Carolina this Coming Saturday can you guys give us a little preview for the game
7: uh, certainly the big news this week was the release of the depth chart Tom O'Brien came out with that yesterday that was Monday and a lot of uh, usual suspects Russell Wilson at quarterback his targets you'd expect Jarvis Williams Owen Spencer most of the guys on the defense no big surprises there but the shocker was it running back um Really hit me out of nowhere, Taylor. Did you expect this at all?
5: Yeah, this was a uh, definitely the biggest surprise. Uh, the little known Dean Haynes,
7: a redshirt freshman, redshirt. Uh, wow, being redundant here. Redshirted last year, but spent that year primarily in the secondary. Played a little bit of running back in practice, I understand, but um, was listed on, was listed on most rosters as a corner safety and he is the starting running back
5: yeah huge surprise i mean going into the season i'm pretty sure everyone thought it was either going to be curtis underwood or james washington both have played some both have shown some glimpses of being able to do things but i mean you come in, and Dean Haynes uh, seems, from what I've heard, was a lot of times the practice running back helped to uh, kind of show the uh, defense last year how to play against like an option for a quarterback, but not much experience there. But he's named O'Brien's named in the starter, and then with true freshman Mustafa Green is number two. So Underwood, Nor Washington are even on the two deep.
7: Yeah, two uh, another guy that figured to possibly playing at running back, Tony Creasy. He's not listed either. Um just very interesting one one thing it might indicate is that dean haynes is just a force to be reckoned with and we just haven't heard of him yet if he uh, moved that far up the depth chart that quickly he must really be something special especially having recently transitioned from the other side of the ball so it'll be really exciting for to see his first couple carries against western i know they're not a powerhouse or anything but it will be interesting to see his how he does in his first college game and if he runs for 100 or 200 yards it might might be a uh, the shock of the early season.
5: Yeah, it adds a whole new dimension if we can get any type of a boom. We know what we're going to get offensively in the passing game with Russell and Jarvis, like you said. TJ Graham's going to be back, Daryl Davis, uh, Owen Spencer. We have that depth, we have that ability. And if we can get anything out of the running game, I mean, whether it be Haynes, whether it be Green, whoever can, anything's going to really be a plus and really help balance this offense out and just give it more and more weapons.
7: Yeah, when you got a passing game like that, it figures to be somewhat not easy to run, but easier than teams without that kind of a passing game because defenses are going to be so concerned about the threat of Russell Wilson throwing it over their heads, they're going to play off the line a little bit, they're going to have extra guys in the secondary hopefully, and it'll open up those running lanes.
5: Yeah, I mean, you can't you can't play any type of like 8 men in the box like that. I mean, especially with this kind of spread offense that we run there, there's just no way you can do that. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, these guys come out the offensive line, which outside of Jake Vermiglio is a little young bunch of sophomores, bunch of freshmen, but a bunch of guys that got some experience last year. Andrew Wallace, those kind of guys. RJ Mates is supposed to be back soon. You got and then you got some of the new guys, Robert Crisp coming in. I mean, Mike Overgard transferred in. He should be he's in the starting lineup at right tackle. I mean, you got some guys there that have some experience. So if those guys can create some holes, I mean, it would be big for the running game.
3: So, gentlemen, what players do we have to watch this week? Three players that are going to be making huge gains this week as new players.
7: Obviously, you know, hate to beat a dead horse talking about Dean Haynes, but he's certainly the one all eyes are going to be on. That's one on the offensive side of the ball. Taylor, how about one from defense?
5: Defensively, I would I would say, I don't know if it's someone we haven't heard from yet, but it's someone that we haven't heard from at least last year in Jeff Reese Camp. He was hurt all last year, didn't play, came in won the starting defensive end spot over Michael Lemon, who was thought to be the starter after a lot of playing time last year. But Reese Camp has come in, and it really seems like he's 100% healthy now. And I think he might be one of the guys to watch.
7: And I think Nate Irving's another guy uh, not off the radar by any means. He's the first name out of most Pac fans' mouths when they talk defense. But uh, he was out all last year with the well-documented car crash that ended his season before it ever started. Um it's uh I read somewhere the other day somebody was debating whether the fans are more excited to see Nate back or whether he's more excited himself to be back on the field. So it'll be great to see fifty six flying around making tackles, hopefully intimidating opposing running backs, quarterbacks, anybody that tries to go over the middle or anywhere near him. He's uh he's had a heck of a highlight reel already and can't wait to see him add to add to that.
5: Yeah, and, and it'd definitely be interesting to see how he takes over the just switching from the strong side linebacker spot to that uh or the weak side, sorry about that, the weak side linebacker two middle linebacker and directing everyone around, calling on the play. So it'll be interesting.
3: All right, so final predictions for the game against Western Carolina?
5: Let's. Uh, I'd say a victory. I don't know the point-wise. It depends on how you think it goes. But goes. And I don't want to say anything, but I'm saying we're definitely going to take the victory. We're going to come out, start strong, and hopefully uh, be first of many for the uh, Pac fans this year.
7: Yeah, I think uh, we'll win big. At least two touchdowns, I'd say. Anything less would be a disappointment. Western Carolina, this is only their third year as a football team. Uh, I believe they only won two or three games in the Southern Conference last year. That's in FCS school, which used to be Division One and Division One AA. One AA is now FCS. Division One kind of is no more. It's FBS, but they're not even in this level, and they struggle at the level they're at. So I can't imagine them giving state too many problems but it is nc state and you never know bigger unpleasant surprises have happened so don't count them out but it, it shouldn't be anything to worry about all right gentlemen an
3: exciting weekend of football for sure tyler everett and taylor barbara it's always a pleasure to talk to you gentlemen appreciate it all right and now it's time for the gardening minute with me if you're anything like me, you live in a postage sized apartment where you barely have enough room to put a coffee table and a sofa, and probably your only connection to nature is a tiny wilting plant that sits somewhere in your living room. However, what if I told you that you, yes, you, can dress up your living room with festive and beautiful plants right now with minimal effort and still get great results? You're probably going to have some reservations like is this possible? Do I want this for myself? What's a plant? Well, let me help you out. Growing a plant on your windowsill can be a rewarding experience and it is not hard. You simply have to grow appropriate plants and make sure to keep them watered. In today's Gardening Minute, I will take you step by step through the process of selecting plants, preparing soil, and maintaining your cute little windowsill garden. Let's start by answering the most basic question. What do I grow? Well, with the light in your, in your room partial to full sun, you can grow lots of things. Herbs, flowers, cactuses, trailing ivy, African violence, and even orchids would be happy to call your windowsill their home. However, making sure they're happy and healthy requires a routine. It doesn't take too much work, but if you don't make sure that your plants get watered, then they won't be plants for very long. Okay, now it's time to pick your plant. For today's Gardening Minute, we'll be discussing basil. I chose basil for a few basic reasons. Basil is extremely hardy. It's kind and forgiving and doesn't take too much mind if you forget to water it occasionally. Basil is a tender, low-growing herb that has been used for centuries in many cuisines of many cultures. Basil, native to South Asia, is a member of the mint family and comes in a plethora of different varieties. You can get spicy basil, cinnamon basil, lemon basil, sweet basil, Thai basil, and holy basil, just to name a few. Now that you know all about basil, it's time to discuss the basics behind growing basil. Keep in mind that this method can be used for pretty much all herbs and flowers that grow on your windowsill. First, you have to select a pot. Plastic pots are plentiful and cheap. They usually have those fancy little holes in the bottom for a superior drainage. However, if you buy a plastic pot they might become brittle and crack. Ceramic pots are good too, but they have a tendency to dry out. Glazed ceramic is considered the Royals Royce of window plants. Made of porous ceramic, it retains water better due to its outside glaze. However, some don't have holes in the bottom, and if there are no holes, your plant could quickly drown. Make sure to put several holes in the bottom of your pot with a drill or nail and keep your pot elevated to ensure proper drainage. Once you have selected the type of pot you want to choose, you need to create a properly mixed balance of soil. To ensure your basil plant's happy-go-lucky lifestyle, you er, you must have a good quality soil. Proper soil is permeable enough to let water drain easily, but still needs to retain some moisture to keep the roots moist and happy. To achieve this, you must mix equal parts sand, loamy garden soil, and peat moss in a bucket before you fill your pot. Make sure to leave an inch and a half of space between the soil level and the top of the pot so water can be properly distributed. Once you have accomplished proper soil composition, it's time to plant your seeds. Ensuring a proper planting depth is crucial to the development of basil babies. If you plant your seeds too deep, they won't germinate. And if it's too shallow, their delicate little roots won't be able to grab onto the soil and they will be malnourished and sad. The proper depth is about one quarter of one inch. And the best way to get proper depth is to press down into the soil with your pinky until it is buried up to your cuticle. With your pinky, poke three holes in a triangular shape equidistant from one another in your pot using the pinky method. When once you have your little holes, place two or three seeds in each hole. Cover delicately and water thoroughly. Once the seeds are planted, you're pretty much done. Place your basil pot in a window and wait for the miracle of life to begin. Within a week... 10 days you should start seeing little basil babies emerging from the soil make sure to gently water daily and keep the plants in the sun for at least eight hours per day and that's all there is to it it is that easy growing herbs such as basil in your window can provide you with tasty herbs all winter And when your basil can get big and strong, you can clip the top few inches of the plant and place it in a glass of water. It will soon grow roots, and then you can repot it and give it to a friend. This process is cloning, and you can impress all your friends by telling them that you are a scientist. In summary, growing herbs on your windowsill is a simple and fun way to grow plants, even if you don't have a lot of space. By making sure to water daily and having good soil, even a pro- a chronic plant killer can become a master gardener. And for today's gardening minutes, I am Chris Chaffee, and that has been this edition of WKNC's premier news program, Eye on the Triangle. We want to thank you all for listening, and we will hope that you will tune in again next week for more exciting news and happenings around the NC State community area. For John and Evan and Jacob and I and Tommy, we want to thank you all for listening and hope you will be back next week for more and better news and stories.